Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And today I'm joined by Alan Christie. Good to see you, Alan. How are Thank you? Peter. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Great, Great to, to be have here. You here. Now, you're an ex-VIP with Progressive. Yep. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And you're also a serial property developer. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Which accurate. we'll be certainly exploring over the next yeah, okay. 45 minutes or so, because I know a lot of our listeners are going to be very interested in really how to get started in property development. Okay. So you're the man to talk to. But you haven't always been in property, have you? And your aspiration hasn't always been no, for property. No, I suppose property. not. No, no. I mean, I, I started off my life with, like a lot of young boys, you, you kind of want to get playing football and I was lucky enough to to do that to a reasonable standard up in the area where I lived and then down here but that's a lifetime ago. Now you're being quite modest with that aren't you because you're saying to no, a reasonable so. standard but <laughs> I seem to recall reading that you actually got to sort of youth international level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. youth international level and professional forms for, for one of the big London clubs so. Go on name them, which which, which club but is that? They're not, my, they're not my team so it's, it's really hard to be Arsenal. Yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. yeah, but that so was so more than a reasonable standard, yeah. a very good standard. Yeah, but you know that there are there are so many people have got very similar stories to tell, mm. and and sometimes that's where their life stops, because it's the one thing that they hark back to when I you know when I when I did this when I yes. played for X or whatever. Yeah, but you never made it. I was just one of that number. You know, I got an I got an injury that um, that kind of stopped me from from doing what I wanted to do, and I had to reappraise my life. So so, so what what actually happened? Why did you stop playing football? I, I got an Achilles uh, issue, yeah. And um, now I think if, if that in, if that injury happens now, it's you know it's keyhole surgery and it's fix it and it comes back stronger. Back then, because I'm not a spring chicken, you know. What I mean, mm. back then I'm going back to the what mid eighties. Mm. Um, then you know that was a that was just not a nice injury to have, and uh, yeah, that stopped. Well, the thing which occurs to me is it's not just the physical side of it. For a young man who's obviously very good at football, to get an injury like that, how do you actually cope with that? How do you come back from that? Um, your, your mindset must be very strong, Alan, is what I'm thinking. Um, it didn't feel like it at the time. Because, mm. you know, you, when you aspire for anything in life and, and something prevents you from getting it, um, you can your, your immediate reaction is, is to get down on yourself. Mm. And you know, I was no different from anybody else. That's what I did. But actually, the the great thing is, you realise that you're you're just a kid. You know, you've got the whole life. I, I had a great upbringing and a great support uh, network in my family. I got encouraged from the day that I came onto this planet. Mm. And it's so important with kids. I'm trying to do the same in my own. Mm. Um, you know, and and I I think that type of thing is really important. Having that network around about you. Mm. But the last time. You know, I, I've never had anything, I've never felt the sadness ever the kind of last time that I walked out of a dressing room knowing that I'd never go back into it again mm. Mm. as an active participant. Horrible. Mm. But life goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like what you said earlier about the fact that, you, you know, some people actually stop at a point like that and that's where their life stops. And clearly yeah. for you it hasn't. But what, what happened next? What, what did you do after that then? Where did life take you? Well, like, I suppose life took me. Ultimately, I, I ended up, you know... I ended up in a, in a job that allowed me to kind of learn some skills that uh, I've applied ever since. You know, so that that type of thing was uh, was good for me. I got to understand how the planning system works. Okay, so what was the job? So it was in a in a care home care home business. Yeah. Um, it was all about kind of acquiring care home businesses, um, adding to a portfolio of care homes, but then building one or two. Right, and so, from no experience whatsoever in that uh, that arena, to be put into that and actually to to learn the hard way through kind of trial and terror, which is how a lot of folk right. get, get into any kind of development, whether it's working for somebody else or whether it's doing it yourself. Um, yeah, you go. There's there's a lot to it. It's a pretty complex undertaking. Yeah, well, it's quite a, an interesting move, isn't it, from sport into care home property management development that was acquisition a, yeah that, how, how did that come about that was, um, 
things that come about. I, a job appeared. I went for an interview, and I got the job. It wasn't. It wasn't like so many things that you do when you're when you're young. They're not really conscious. Yes. You know, you just you kind of go with the flow. Yes. And I went. I, I don't. I genuinely don't think that I really had a good idea what I was going to do until I was probably late twenties. Mm. You know, which is maybe maybe a bit late. I I kind of put it, put it down to the fact that I had never considered an alternative to what I was, you know, in my mind, born to do, which was play football. Mm. Uh, I, I never considered that. And then you kind of take time to get over that loss, if you like, and you reset, because you, you've, you've effectively got to press the reset button. Mm. Gosh, well, we could unpack so much there, Alan. Yeah, well. Yeah, this is one of my things where I can start having a bit of a rant as well, because <laughs> actually deciding as a teenager, for example, what you're going to be doing for the rest oh. of your life, and yet we expect our teenagers to do that. But we'll park that because this is the progressive property I, I could rant with you. So yeah. uh, well, it's all about mindset, isn't yeah, it? And going back to what you're saying about encouraging your children and stuff. Yeah. But we'll just park for that for the moment and stick to the property side. So you unconsciously ended up in a property role, which looking back now must have been so useful because it's presumably led to where you are today. Yeah. But at the time, you didn't realise necessarily the implications. It was just another job? Absolutely. You know, I, I loved it. It was great fun. And I, I think I've been very lucky in that the things that I've done pretty much all through my life, that, that's been a big part of it. I've only really looked to do things that have been uh, fun to do. Right. Um, and I think that's a conscious thing. Mm. You know, you've got to love what you're doing or else why bother doing it? Yeah. You spend, you spend a lot of your time actually working. So you, you know, enjoy it, make the most of it. Yeah. yeah. So you obviously enjoyed whatever it was you were doing in property with the care home business, mm. learning through trial and terror, as you put yeah, it. Yeah. You obviously came through that relatively unscathed because you're sat here today. Uh, well, okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so what's yeah. what happened next? Um, so that, that business got uh, sold, I got made redundant. Um, and then I, I started doing development straight off the bat because that's what I knew. Now let's that's just stop there learn. because though you've just joined those two sentences seamlessly. But there's a massive load of questions in between that. You were made redundant, and then you started doing developments. So what was the process between that? In fact, what, how did you feel when you were made redundant, by the way? What, what was happening at that point? Were you thinking, oh, no, everything's over? Or were you thinking, oh, great, now I can go no, and I do mean, something the, for myself? I suppose like anything, when you... I mean, I knew it was coming. Okay. I was, I was kind of very much involved in the process of um, building the business to the point I knew exactly what the owner was looking to do, which was move on to another uh, a, another bigger care home provider and take his exit. Mm. So I'd kind of known all about that. One of the great things about that particular role is I got to travel up and down the UK. Mm. So I had had my eye on something that I thought I might be able to get involved with at not a huge amount of money. I got very lucky in that the chap that owned the business um, set me up with uh, a gift if you like, at the end. And that gift allowed me to then go and do development. Mm. It allowed me to kind of make the first step of um, acquiring a property to develop out. Mm. So that, that, if you like, was the start. On that, um, on that project, which was for um, 11 flats, I probably did, I made every mistake that you could make. Mm. Because although I'd learned something, I hadn't learned everything. Mm. Although I, I'd kind of understood some of the, the concept of how you get planning on something, I hadn't actually allowed myself to see how all the dots joined because it was my money before. Mm. And so I, I, you know, one, one of the big things that I learned at that time, not that I, not that I learned as well as I should, as you maybe come to later, but um, was that you can be rubbish at something, which is probably what I was at that point in time. And if the market's going for you, the more rubbish you are, the more money you can make because mm. you just take longer to do it. Mm. Well, property can be very forgiving, can't it? Can be. Yeah, can and be. And very unforgiving if you get on the downside of okay. that. Absolutely, absolutely. So looking back now, how do you feel about making every mistake you made? Uh, was it... Is that something which you can reframe in a positive way? Or if you could yeah. go back, would you make sure that you didn't make those mistakes? There was no... 
you know, back then, if if you were if you were lucky, you got the ear of somebody who'd done it before, mm. who could who could kind of talk you through the process, or who could at least keep you right. You know, and I've been very lucky in that I had, you know, I had two or three people, um, not during that first um, project, but in subsequent projects, a few people who were very kind with their time and with their uh, encouragement and advice. Mm. And, and I suppose a big part of what I'm doing now is, um, is all geared towards giving a little bit of that back mm. and trying to do it at some kind of scale. Mm. There was no proper education, so there was mm. no progressive property about. Mm. There was no VIP program where you could get, you know, educated, where you could get mentored, where you could get encouraged. There was none of that around. Mm. It was just, you know, sink or swim. Mm. I guess the one thing that was that was much more favourable then than it is now is the lending conditions were completely different. Mm. Banks, banks behaved totally differently. Mm. You know, they were very bullish as far as property development was concerned. And as such, you were, you could go into something with very little experience and get some decent bank support providing all the numbers stacked. Mm. Um, and I, I guess I'd learned from pretty early on that um, you know, development's a team sport, so I'd already mm. kind of got that bit right, that mm. there were component parts that you needed to put in place. Mm. You know, but yeah. The, re the reason for my question specifically is because I'm, I'm sure that, like myself, you must meet people who want to get into property, but the thing that generally tends to hold them back is they're scared of making mistakes. Mm. And I think it's almost naive to imagine that you're going to go into something like property without making mistakes. Yeah. If you wait for everything to be perfect, or if you hope you're going to be the perfect investor, and like you might want to stay in bed, because that's the only way you're ever going to be the perfect property investor, yeah. stay in bed and do nothing. It's like anything in life, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, perfect. Perfect very rarely happens. Yes. You know, I, I, I think if, if you look for qualities in, in anybody involved in property investing or property development, key one to get, uh, key, key thing that you have to have is resilience. If you, if you start every project uh, with the understanding, and, and the, more you, the more you do it, the more you realise that that is exactly the case. It's not, this might happen. It's like, stuff will go wrong. Yeah. Absolutely, on every single thing that you do. It might go wrong in a small way, it might go wrong in a big way, but you've got to be resilient. Mm. You know, you've got to be able to kind of, you've got to be able to just work your way through problems in a calm way, just make sure you get the whole thing done. Um, that's, that's a big part of the key. Absolutely, and I, I always think that you've got to expect the unexpected. And, good way and I don't know why we don't, because we always act as if the unexpected was so unexpected. But when you think about it, <laughs> yeah, it was only yeah. to be expected. Yeah, absolutely. If you absolutely. see what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of these circular things that works out really well when you put yeah. it. Yeah, yeah but it's yeah. true of property. So there you are, you're made redundant at a relatively young age, I'm guessing. Mm. And you're suddenly having to cope for yourself. Now you've learned a certain amount by working for the care home, but you've suddenly gone from zero developments of your own mm. to doing 11 flats. That's quite a chunky project, isn't it? It's quite a big project to take on as a first one. Um, I you, must, you must have been quite confident in your ability to uh, do it. Yeah, I, I, I probably, you know, uh, um, too confident. Okay. Looking back. Okay. And, uh, you know, sometimes I haven't shifted that, that too confident thing. It just, it, it kind of comes with a turf, I guess. Right. Take us through the steps that you took to go from being made redundant with no experience of your own developments to actually breaking ground on your first development. What actually happened? You say that you'd actually <coughs> seen this opportunity during your yeah. travels when you were employed. Yeah. So then presumably you had to approach a JV partner, did you? Or to go and find no, no. the seller, the owner of the land? Yeah, it, it was actually, team? it was a social club that okay. I knew was on the, on the, um, on the cusp of folding because they'd kind of got their money, they'd made a mess of their, their finances. Mm. And um, and they had a ramshackle old building on a really nice corner plot um, just next to a river. So it was a perfect spot really. And there was a lot of height round about. So the, the, the topography of the land that kind of sat down and then it ro rose up and it was tenement buildings that were over here. So um, we were able to get uh, four stories, um, is that right? No, three stories, beg your pardon, it was, 
No, four, three, 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 and two. Mm -hmm. Just the way it kind of laid out. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so we got 11. I didn't see it as particularly a. I mean, actually, so here, l allow me to give you this. Um, that kind of project is a far easier project to do than a single house development or two or three house development or something like that. Mm. It's much easier. It's much easier to do anything at scale. Mm. The thing that stops you doing stuff at scale is just between there. Mm -hmm. Nothing else. Your mindset. Nothing else. It's all yeah. that. It's a, a big development is easier, is easier and less risky to do than a small development. Right. Well, that's very interesting. That might surprise some of our listeners, perhaps who are thinking about going into some kind of development. Because yeah, a lot of people start and they say, "Okay, I'll do, I'll do two houses." Mm. Yeah. If if you actually, if you if you view that from, you know, if you go back in your life and view that kind of decision from the perspective of maybe 20 or 30 years of doing this kind of thing. It's just one of the daftest decisions you can make. Interesting. Well, as a devil's advocate, though, yeah, sure. what our listeners might be thinking is, that's all very well, Alan, but I can kind of imagine that I might be able to get the funding for two houses, whereas I'm not sure I could get the funding for 11 flats. Okay. So what, what would your response to that be? How, how, how do you see that working in terms of funding? So, so funding... When you consider the myriad of ways that you can now fund, I have to, can I, can I, can I, I will come back to that question, but I want to give you a personal okay. um, point on it. So I got caught up in the, um, in the sort of 2008-2009 uh, financial crash mm. as a result of, and I would, probably would have under any circumstance, but as a result of buying three sites at the top of the market. Um, I had only ever borrowed money from high street banks. Mm. I knew nothing of alternative forms of finance, joint ventures, any of the thing, vendor funds, any of the things that you know you taught progressive property. Didn't know any of it. If you truly, if you truly take in what you get taught here, and you have a reasonable mindset, you shouldn't ask that question. Mm. You know, because actually, I, I first time I came down here, and I, first time I got involved with Progressive, I went to a Misopi event. Yeah. Multiple and streams of property income. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, and one of the things I remember the guy from the stage said was, um, this room contains everything that you need. Hmm. Money's in this room. You don't know it yet, but the money's in this room. The person sat next to you could be your your next joint venture partner. And my reaction to that was, you know, a lot of rubbish. Despite that reservation, because I'm normally very positive, I just, and despite that reservation, I thought, fair enough, let's, let's go with that. And we got our, my first joint venture partner I got in my very first VIP, mm. uh, yeah. which was fantastic. And for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, the VIP is the Progressive 12 Month Mentoring Programme. Yeah. yeah. So on your very first month here, you came down on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and you met your JV partner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, from a, from a mindset point of view, that was, that was mind-blowing. So for anybody who's thinking about perhaps following in your footsteps and, and doing some development, are you saying that we should think bigger? Always, yeah. I have a phrase. That's the challenge though, isn't it? Yeah, well, but, you know, you know. But what? then, having said that, though, to come back and challenge you a little bit on that, Alan, just to sort of tease yeah. this out a little bit. No, good. You sure. have you have just said though that you made every mistake that you could possibly make. So yeah. there's that balance between obviously thinking too small and not doing big enough, and perhaps going too big and then making those mistakes. And where, where is the balance then? What, what would you suggest? There's a practical balance, mm. which has always comes always comes down to the team that you put together. You put together the right team, you can you can achieve absolutely anything. Okay, so how do you do that? That's a question which I'm often asked, particularly because I did the masterclass training here. Interestingly, we've just been opening masterclasses just running this morning. Right. And one of the first things we said is the money is irrelevant. It is the main concern to most people, but the money is yeah. irrelevant, isn't it? Which is a really hard thing to get your head around if, if you're not used to that idea. I spend a lot of time in uh, London now. And um, if ever you need to kind of understand that that statement is completely true, mm. then spend some time in the city. Yes. Money's irrelevant. Yes. 
you know, nobody will ever, you know, there's no good project of any description anywhere on the planet that will ever go unfunded. Because mm. money has to find a home. Yes. The biggest fear for a lot of, for a lot of serious investors is their money doing nothing. You know, it's, it's that, it's that lag between invest, get money back out, damn, I don't want it sitting there doing for any length of time because mm. I want to be in the next thing. Yeah. Because that's how they're building their wealth. That's yeah. how wealth is built, un fundamentally. We have a, you know, one of the things that I, I do now um, is run a business called Development Discovery. And that is, that's all about teaching people how to do property development in a safe environment. Mm. It's, it's going, it's, so it's, it's different. It's much more kind of boutique than, say, a progressive because we're looking very much at implementation. So we, we do projects with people. So they come on and so you ask, how can you, how can you get into uh, bigger projects in a safer environment where you're not making all the mistakes that perhaps, um, well, that I definitely made um, and got lucky because of market timing. Mm. How can you do that in an environment that's a bit more safe um, then, you know, if you want to talk about that uh, during the course of this time, yeah, I'd love yeah, to. Sure, sure. Going back to the question now, how do we put our team together? How did you put your team together? Starting out from scratch. Well, okay. Did you already know your team from your days um, in the Yeah, home? so that's pretty much how I started off. Yeah, I used mm. the same people that I'd used uh, previously. Now I'm, I'm kind of developing and uh, so my journey that involved progressive property um, started back in 2014, 15, mm. 15. I kind of decided towards the back end of that year um, that development in England looked like it was miles easier than it was in Scotland. Um, government brought into, into being something that they trialled legislation for permitted development rights um, and that meant that you could you could easily get involved in development because there were, you know, it, the process, the planning process just went. Yeah, it made the planning process a lot yeah. easier. Yes. And, and so that's made getting into development, a certain, a certain kind of development, not the kind that I particularly like, I've got to say, um, an awful lot easier. Um, you know, so putting a team together, development is all about team. Um, if, you, if you do it properly, everything's one step removed, so you're, you effectively are orchestrating as opposed to playing an instrument, is maybe the best analogy of it. Mm. Um, uh, conducting, I suppose, rather than orchestrating. But the idea is the same, you put your team together on the basis of who and what you need for a specific project. Obviously, maybe your first project, you have no idea who or what you need. Mm. So how do you get around that? Nowadays it's easy, get educated. Mm. You know, it, there is so much material, there are, there are you know, really good kind of ethical organisations out there that are teaching, you know, good fundamental stuff. Mm. You can you can pick that information up. Mm. You can pick up team members, anything like that. You can find within the walls of this building. You can come and talk to mm. Development Discovery. We can help on that. Mm. Um, there is that information is everywhere. Mm. No excuse anymore. Mm. Okay, so you built the eleven flats. Did you keep them? No, you sold them. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I... And is that your strategy, to build well, and sell? Well, it, it certainly was, mm. right up until 2009. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then I didn't have a strategy. Right. Because my world at that point changed again. Okay. Because at, at that point, so everything that I'd done for, for these past kind of, you know, getting on for, what, 15, 16 years, something like that, um, that, that all changed, you know, with the financial crisis. Banks, um, banks were just nailing everybody. So I got, I was one of the guys that got nailed. Oh wow! So it's a bit like your Achilles tendon going again. Yeah, it's a very good analogy. Mm. Yeah. So how, how did you cope with that? What what happened? Not well. Not well. A Not year well. in year in bed, a year in a dark room with an ice two. pack, or two. Yeah. yeah, two years of doing very little. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and when something like that happens to you when you're a teenager, that's one thing. Yeah, if you're 19 and it happens, then fine. You can convince yourself that you've got your entire life ahead of you. When it happens to you when you're in your 40s, mm. um, you know, be early 40s, that's a different kettle of fish. Mm. 
you know, and and you know, in, in some respects, I got a wee luckier than some, mm. but still, um, still took a bit of a battering. Well, I remember talking to to other friends of mine who who were in a similar position, and the, you know, the day after Lehman Brothers went down, the banks were saying we'd like all our money back, and they're saying, well, we haven't got your money. Yeah, is that kind of what happened? Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> not maybe not that quick because mm. Lehman Brothers happened in '08, mm. and uh, you know I, I imagine they looked at you know if you can imagine yourself sat in that bank room, it's like okay, who are the really easy targets, mm. the ones that are who are out of their lending covenants, but we've been lenient with them, right? Go with them first, mm. keep going on, and decent business. It was making money. Um, we had been meeting our covenants without any difficulty, uh, so I figured we'd be kind of further down the list, but mm. they came to us like they came. The, the guys that, that got away with it, and I use that term advisedly, because that, that's all that happened, they got away with it, were the guys who were in at the bank for hundreds of millions. Mm. I wasn't, I, you know, my my scenario was probably, you know, it, it was eight figures rather than mm. nine. Mm. And I think the, um, the guys that were in for nine figures were, the banks reorganized rather than kind of took them down. Mm. So the market collapsed, mm. your business collapsed, you had yeah. a couple of years sabbatical where you're yeah, licking your wounds and... Yeah, pretty much. What, what did you do then? Because clearly there's a happy ending because you're sat here today. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, I suppose there were more lessons to learn along the way. Mm. So the one thing that I realised that I knew how to do is I knew how to uh, develop, but I didn't have any money at that time. I didn't know that you could get money through alternative sources. Mm. So I did the bit of that that is the next bit I knew how to build, mm. I suppose. So I, I built. You know, I will never do that again because I had a calamitous 2014-15 when, as a contractor, um, you know, I, I went from, you know, I was involved with myself and, uh, and a good friend started. Uh, I, I got involved in his business. We grew that business uh, nicely as a contractor. And, um, you know, that that ended very sourly. We had things that just went, you know, contracts that went just just went terribly wrong, and, I, mm. and it made me realise that there's a pecking order in things. And mm. the reason why I got into development, luckily, is you kind of sit at the top of the food chain. Mm. Whereas if you're a contractor, you sit right at the bottom of the food mm. chain, mm. and you know subcontractors sit below you, I guess. But that's pretty much the floor mm. if you're in the, um, the the process of of building things. And it was post that that I got involved with Progressive, and, and I was at a really, really low ebb. Um, we'd done, we'd started doing developments that we funded entirely with our own money. So we made some profit, we bought some land, we made some more profit, we built some houses, we sold them, so and so on. And, but that was like painful. I mean, it's just so painful when you consider that the way that you did, that I did things before, to actually do it at that pace was just awful, really. Um, and so the thing that changed was, um, I was listening to a podcast, cause I, I, which was a, a thing I'd never done before. And you had, you know, I had a scenario whereby I was at a low ebb and I was thinking, okay, I'm not gonna bury my head, I'm gonna go and fight my way out of this. And, but I'm gonna do something completely different. I want to do development again, cause that's really what I know. And that's the bit that I was good at. I was, I was, an average to poor contractor, I, I thought, is an above average developer. Mm. Well, going back to being a contractor is almost like working for somebody else, isn't it? Which I imagine yeah, must be very difficult. Uh, horrible, yeah, mm. absolutely horrible, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th there are some great contractors about it. I mean, I, I've been blessed and I've got, you know, the guy that does uh, developments in Scotland, great contractor. I've found a really, you know, fantastic contractor down in uh, the Devon area who we're developing. And you know, we're looking for some great contractors in different parts of the country. They're a key part of our team. Mm. But I, I listened to this podcast, go back to it if you don't mm. mind. Listen to this podcast and it was two lads who had got into development, small scale development, but nonetheless development from backgrounds that you shouldn't have got into development from, was where I was coming from. And I, I listened to it, and at the end of it, I thought, absolutely no way. I can't understand how, how they raised that money. So I, I did some detective work, I, and I tracked them down. And I phoned the guys up, 
and said, I'm really struggling to find out how you've done this. Can I come and talk to you? Would you mind? Um, and these guys are heavily involved with progressives, so Lloyd and Andy, Lloyd Jarley, okay, and, yes. um, and they were really kind with their time. Um, and they kind of said, look, go and see these guys, because this is how we've started out what, doing what we're doing and, uh, and, and building from there. And so I came down in 2015 to that multiple streams event. Yeah. Which is when I met them, met them in Northampton and then came down here for a few days. Yeah. Three days down here afterwards. From that I so on that on that time I joined VIP. Um I think first or second uh, meeting that I was there, I met two of my now current business partners, I met Aidan and Pauline Heron. Hmm. And um from there it's just carried on and so I, I I'd started doing developments again but I'd started being really creative with the way that I put the funding together okay what do you mean by that how did you put the funding so I, I guess the this a first so funding wise I said one I'd looked at a joint venture got a joint venture partner involved another couple I'd got the I'd found um I'd found sites where um, they'd, got, they'd been on the market for a little while. They were like um, hotel sites that had failed, um, but they had some land with them. So hotel uh, with car park, big car park, so sat on an acre. Um, the vendor couldn't get the money that he was after because the business had failed sort of three times. He couldn't get it as a going concern. He knew there was value there, but he couldn't extract it. So I managed to get to speak to him by passing the agents. And on that basis, I kind of gave him a I gave him a route to get what he wanted, mm. which was, you know, I'll pay you. So just to unpack that deal, just mm, maybe that'd be it, really so, useful. So it's going it's going to be um, it's in planning at the moment, and it's going to be eighteen houses and a pharmacy. And I'll uh, you know I can touch on that pharmacy a bit later because that's maybe interesting for folk, mm. if that's of interest. Um, he wanted four hundred grand for the site. Um, what I wanted to do was structure a deal that I could get it. Um, I'd come back all, all enthused about sort of no money down and doing all this kind of stuff. And I thought, okay, just think it through. So I agreed to give him 275 on day one, provided he gave me 100 grand back on day one. Right. And he needed 175 to clear his feet. So that's how we ended up at that number. I knew that I would need to put 100 grand in the deal to get the funding to purchase it, take it through planning and uh, and then develop out, and then I gave him a twenty-five percent equity share to get his uplift. So, so that structure has has allowed me to, you know, get get involved in that site. Um, without genuinely without putting any money down, other than the the works involved for planning, so the architects' drawings and planning fees and stuff like that. It's probably so in my part of the world that's something like a three million pound project, um, with about. Six seven hundred thousand pound profit, and is that typically the sort of developments you're doing now? Um, I suppose that they range from smallest thing that I've got on at the moment is is nine houses down in the Norfolk coast, um, and it goes goes from that to about thirty five. Right, going by what you said earlier, that must probably be the bottom of the range then. And about nine yeah, but, but, nine, but interestingly enough, nine units in that location in Norfolk gives me the same uh, same value mm. as the development up in my neck of the woods, mm. which is kind of why I start, started thinking that you know this is easier to do in England and way more profitable. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, and so that 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 is um, that's that's just a, a way of creating that I would never have lent that funding had I not come here. Right, and how, how many developments have you done since you joined VIP? And how many have you got on the go at the moment? Oh, how many have I got on the go at the moment? Gosh. So developments take a while. That's the first thing. So it's maybe a, a, an interesting point as well. Development for me starts before... So it starts at the acquisition stage before anything's got planning on it. That's the creative bit. That's the bit where you earn your money, effectively. If you get in beyond that, at planning stage, for example, so when somebody else has done the creative bit and got planning, then, you know, yes, that's a quicker route to market, to actually selling houses on, but 
um, you're actually, uh, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. So I prefer the, I'm, I'm quite happy to employ the kind of whole delayed gratification thing, knowing that coming out the other side, come away with a far better, far better deal. Mm. Where that can change slightly is if you do have to do something creative, it's your own money, you can go in and you can buy the land as cheap as you can get it, you can run it through planning, you can take the long term view. My vista when I was doing it as house builder, house building development, was five years from shaking a farmer's hand, typically a farmer, um, to putting a spade in the ground, mm. and then five years to develop it out. It's not a get rich quick scheme. No, it's a get, get, get rich, rich reliable. Quick. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> it's a reliable way to get rich, but it's yeah. it's not quick. No, so at the moment, um, I think the other thing that's changed as well is I don't do, I do, I do nothing on my own anymore. So I've always got other partners, and I, I figure that is like super important. Mm. So there's there's, it's super important for a whole lot of reasons. One, you can you can leverage other people's uh, time and energies and commitment. It's also great to have a sounding board because although Alone, development is a team pursuit, and you've got a lot of people who are on your team. You know, the fact that you are the figurehead of that, it's great if you've got a, a sounding board. And so, consciously, uh, everything that I do now, I'm doing with uh, other people. Mm. You know, that, and that's really important. You know, I do, um, we do stuff with our development discovery cohorts. I do stuff out with that that I'm doing with, um, with most everything I do with Eduardo and other joint ventures, uh, joint venture partners and things like that, but always trying to try to do things with, with other people. Okay. Just means you can do more. To give to answer your question fully, but with a bit of a backstory, um, I used to run four sites at a time. That was my four sites of maybe twenty five to thirty five houses. That would be my, my kind of thing. Had I run a fifth one, that would have been death. Mm. For me, I think, because it was, you know, that was full on doing that. Now, if I was to add up all the kind of bits and pieces that, that I've got on the go, they're probably about three, four times that, probably about 15, 16 developments on the go. Mm. Um, that's easier than the four. And why is that? What, what's changed? I'm not building them. You know, so they're getting built out, but I'm not, I'm not responsible for the build. And that is the biggest element. If you do one development and you do it the way that you know I did, where you start off with uh, pre-planning, so you're thinking up the process, you're promoting the site through the local plan, you're getting your your planning consultant engaged, your architect engaged, and you're going through that. It's a slow process that's punctuated with long periods of doing nothing. Mm. You know, so it's not uh, as a pursuit. It it's one at a time is just it would drive you drive you to distraction. Mm. Yeah, it's really boring. Mm. You, so you tend to do something, then you're waiting on something else to happen before you can do your next thing. Mm. That might be that you're waiting on your architect to draw something up and, and think something through. It may be that you're waiting on a local authority to come back with you with a response to what you've submitted, but there's loads of, loads of space and time where actually you can't, you can't do anything else because you don't know what the outcome is that you're going to achieve. Mm. Or that's going to, that you're going to have to compromise on, and all the developments are compromised. That's the other thing mm. I would say. It's easier because you've got more people involved in the process. It's easier because you, you know, you engage your team and a whole lot. You just fill in the gaps. So I'm very busy mm. by design, mm. and but very busy is 16 developments. Mm. It's not too busy. It sounds like a lot, but as you say, if you've got the right team, then all things become possible. Yeah. I think your point is so important and it doesn't really matter which property strategy you're following, you're going to be able to do more and hopefully it's going to be easier if you've got more people involved. And the days of being a solopreneur, are really, if you want to get anywhere, those days are over, I think. I would agree with you entirely. But you said to me before we started, you said you were looking at getting into development. Absolutely, yeah. So, so why is that? Why is that? Because I'm always looking to learn, I want to try something new. I'm a bit of a fidgety character, actually, right. Alan. Okay. I like to try. I want to try something new. I've done lots and lots of buy-to-lets, and, and, and times come to do something a little bit and different. And so, how are you thinking of doing that? Are you, what what route is your? What's your thought process? Was it, you know, is it do a do a small conversion, or are you? 
What, what are you thinking? No, I've got a bare piece of land and I'm going to build five houses on it. Good for you. Yeah, maybe not big enough, going back to our earlier conversation, maybe it should have been bigger. But there we are, physically, it will only accommodate five houses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually bought it with planning, it had planning for two. Right. So we managed to squeeze it so from two up to great. five, so that's pretty cool. I thought that's quite good. But so that's, I'm going to try that. That's a mindset that thing, though, Peter. And then I'll sell them on. Right. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you if you if you've been following Andy and Lloyd, they they do a lot of um, build to rent. Are you building to rent or are you building to sell? Yeah, I I, I guess um, a mix. Okay. Because I think a mix is a safer strategy. Explain um, what you mean by that. What was your so thinking? So sell and hold. And I think there, there are some sites that lend themselves to... So there are some locations that you build in that absolutely lend themselves to that strategy and that's what those guys mm. are doing. Um, and that's that's great. Uh, there are a lot of other sites, however, where where they can be fabulous sites to develop. My, I suppose stuff that I've done historically has been um, edge of settlement stuff. So not town centre, not... It might be small villages as opposed to big towns, where the the kind of the where the the market for rental isn't really there, and so it's not it's not an easy thing to do, mm. rent. However, sell you can get great big lumps of cash that come mm. in. I guess, I suppose the kind of implementation of that strategy is. You know, some sites. Like if I go back to the the site that I unpacked in terms of the how it was financed. Mm where it's, it's kind of 18 houses in a pharmacy. Um, 18 houses and flats and a pharmacy. It's probably probably a similar number of each, nine and nine and then pharmacy. That site will probably, the houses will sell and will retain the flats and the pharmacy. Mm. Well, you were going to say you, about the pharmacy, that's quite an interesting thing to have in your portfolio. What's the, I mean, presumably the planners have made you put a pharmacy in? No, no, quite or you've the opposite. Cho you've chosen to put yeah, a pharmacy yeah. in. What, yeah. What's your thinking there then? Um, so you're buy-to-let tenants. Mm. When, you, when you take on a buy-to-let, you, your client, if you like, your, your tenant, your financial security on that unit is based on an individual or family who most probably have a job, maybe don't, depend on where you where you rent. How long have you got a lease in place for? Mm, six months usually, maybe 12. Six to 12 months. And your covenant, if I use a financial term, so your covenant is the individual that you've rented to. Mm. And they may be perfectly well off and they may be perfectly able to sustain that rent and they might stay there for years. But you've basically got a six-month AST. With a pharmacy, so if I can get commercial in, I, I kind of look at commercial flip side. I'd never do speculative commercial. I always do target commercial. Target commercial is effectively where you identify the thing and ideally the, the tenant before you propose the solution. So I've got my pharmacy client lined up before I submitted planning. The reason I went with him is I'll have you know, nine flats that have got exactly the same outcome as you've got and covenant that you've got, six month. In Scotland, they call it short assured tenancy as opposed to assured short tenancy. So it's, in my mind, it's always a, a short assured tenancy, an SAT as opposed to an ASD. Mm. Um, but with my pharmacy, I've got a 15 year full repair and insurance lease mm. at 50% um, more rent per square foot than the flat. I also have no fit out. I give him a shell, he fits out himself. So it costs me um, approximately 30 grand less to build and I get 50% more rent. And I've got that for 15 years. Mm. That's why I've got a pharmacy in that. Very attractive. So are you going to do more and more commercial? Uh, yeah. As I say, not speculative, but presumably you've got organisations, commercial bodies, retailers, pharmacies, whoever yeah. that you can approach in your little yeah. black book. Big black book, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and to be honest, I mean, we. So that's one of the things we do at Development Discovery is we we kind of teach teach people how to do that kind of targeted commercial, and then do projects with them. Okay. Most people, however, and it's really interesting because most people start off in that vein. They all get really excited by it, and then they float over to want to do a residential development because it's what they're familiar with. Mm. Mm. You know, but commercial development. There's a reason why 
all the real estate guys, the, you know, proper city-based real estate guys are in commercial and not residential. Mm. And what I described to you there is, is exactly, it's all about protection and covenant. Yes. Long-term long -term protection of your capital base and, and attractive yields. And if you go about it right, you know, if, if you look at things like, yeah, I know, we've done some co-ops and things like that. These are great, great little businesses. And I, 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 my kind of favorite model that, um, that this is part of, I suppose, but not wholly, the one that I've described there, is if you can get commercial on ground floor and you can get some flats up above it, I would sell the flats to keep the commercial, not the other way around. Mm. Yeah. So are you looking for sites now which lend themselves to both? Is that a deliberate strategy yeah, of yours? Yeah. You're targeting that? Yeah, it, it's a, yes, but it's a very, you know, all these strategies are long term. Mm. There's none of these that will get you in the door and get you money, mm. you know, 12 months later. They're all, as you will find out as you're going through your yeah. your five houses. How long have you been in it so far? Oh, uh, a few months. Right, but okay, I'm going so in with my eyes open. I know that this isn't right. a, a short term thing. Yeah. yeah. If I've got my money this time next year, I'll be very happy. That'd be, I think that'd be fantastic, <laughs> even with planning. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. yeah. it come with all the building regs in place as well, or have you... Are you going through that process? No, we're just going now? through that process as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. So I mean, you, you'll see even even without the planning part of it, and the planning part is probably the most complex part of it. There's still lots of things that you've got to do to mm -hmm. to make development happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So long term, Alan, mm. what's going to happen? What are you doing? You've talked about training. Tell us about your training. What do you, what do you do, and how do you do it, and who do you do it for? Um, so for. Most of the people that we, we who are kind of coming on, so it's, it's all mentorship based. There's no, we're not doing any one-off courses or anything like that. It's not, it's not that kind of thing. It's, so our, our, our kind of strap line for development discovery is learning, doing, earning. Mm. And, you know, learning is great. And I, I'd, I'd thought about, you know, put on a course and, you know, do whatever, look at that kind of thing be a folder that sits on somebody's shelf. I never wanted to be that. I thought far more that if I was if if I was kind of looking to do development and start off right now, how would I want to do it? Because in most people that I speak to, most people that I spoke to in the progressive community, they're all, you know, a lot of people are interested in it. You know, you've got some great people out there. You've got Lloyd Nandy, you've got Glenn who are teaching commercial conversions. Great. Commercial conversions, in my mind, is it's not, it's not kind of full on property development, but it's the step in between full on property development. You know, really, you know, the building's already there. Mm. You know, you're playing around with the inside, if you like. Um, and I'd rather knock buildings down like that than mm. and start mm. off new builds. Mm. I'm delighted to hear you say that you bought a field and you're doing five houses. It's much easier than playing around with a building. Unless the building is beautiful, um, then you know, that's a different story. Um, we teach people how to do the property development by doing a property development with them. Okay. So, are you looking for JV partners to bring in the finance? Are you looking for people to bring the land? No. Or are you just looking for people who are interested in doing this that can come along to you and you'll help them, help them find a role, help them put together their team? So, you know what? We've got, we've got an, interesting, an interesting bunch. It's always interesting when you look at the demographics of people that come along and do these things. We've got a 17-year-old kid who's who's looking to do property development. And he's been brought up in a family that have kind of taught him that you, taught him how to look after money and taught him that property as a strategy is a really good one. Um, and then we've got some people that are retired. So we've got everything in between. Some people have got zero property experience. Some people have got lots. Some people have got money. Some people have got none. Mm. Um, we want to teach them how to raise money. Mm. That's a huge part of what we do because that's what development's all about. So. We don't ask that they come with money. If they want to invest in a project, that's a completely separate relationship, mm. governed by completely separate rules. Mm. It's got nothing to do with it. But at the end of it, we do we effectively do uh, a 50-50 JV with members of a small group. So three people typically, most likely never met each other before. We put them together, we teach them how to do property development by doing a development with them. They find the site, so we teach them how to find how to find the site. They appraise sites, so we go through a filtering process so that we end up with something that that works, and works 
buyer model, which is main contractor on the site, everything hands off. So we're not looking to project man. You know, we will put appoint a project manager if we need to. Um, we're not looking at uh, a project manager being on site, a site manager, and then managing subcontractors, which is probably a cheaper way of doing it. Not probably, definitely. I'd rather do a development where I've got a main contractor that earns a profit doing something, but a good contractor is efficient, will get things built in time, get things built well, so that you're creating a product that you can sell on market. And so we go through that whole process with them. Through from, you know, the only rule that we have is the rule that we developed the same way you did. So it's um, it's got to have some form of planning. Mm. We teach them planning through the time that they're with us. But the development project we do, because if it's not got planning, we could be running a mentorship for seven years. Mm. And that's a hard sell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Well, it, it sounds very comprehensive. It sounds very exciting. The one thing which they've presumably all got in common is they want to do development. I want to do development, And that's yeah. the only qualification you need, presumably. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I want to do development and breathing. Okay. So for anybody who's listening to this who thinks, well, I quite fancy that, how do I get in touch with Adam? How do they get in touch with Adam? So go to developmentdiscovery.co.uk. Developmentdiscovery.co.uk. You find us there. Yeah. Um, Alan at, well, Alan at discoveryhub.co.uk or Alan at developmentdiscovery.co.uk. Okay. And are you on Facebook? Yep. Facebook at devdisc. Okay. Twitter, hashtag devdisc. Yeah. So if you want to get and, in touch And all these Adam, other things that I'm not sure about. Okay, well that's probably enough. So if you want to find Alan, just pause that bit, rewind it, and you'll you'll hear yeah. his email, you'll hear his website. Mm. And anybody who's interested, just get in touch. Yeah, we do we do one one intake a year. Yeah. So we're not you know we're not looking at huge numbers. It's it's not about that. There is a there's a kind of sanity factor that's involved as well. You can only do so much. So at the moment we've got um, seven development groups. Um, and that is that's an, that is where we're at right now. They're going through in various stages. 2018, we'll be looking for another 15 people. Wow. Okay. Brilliant. That's it. 15. No more. Brilliant. So anybody who's been listening to this, anybody who wants to genuinely do development, yeah. And I'm assuming that you want people who are totally committed, not just somebody who's thinking, well, I might give it a bit of a go. But if you're totally yeah. committed, get in touch with Alan. Thank you, Peter. Okay. Alan, it's been great talking to you. Thank really you for nice coming to you. Coming, thank you. Thank you for coming all the way down from Scotland to no talk problem. to us today. And I've been Peter Jones. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast. If you have any ideas for any subjects that you'd like to cover, get in touch with me. You can private message me on Facebook or whatever, Messenger. Get in touch. If it looks like an idea which would be good for the whole community, we may do it as a podcast. In the meantime, here's to successful property investing. <laughs>